You guys can have a seat this morning. We are in our fourth week um, of our Revive series. We are a people who are gathered together, who are shaped by the Word, who are united by Christ. That's what we've covered so far. And so last week, specifically, we looked at what it looks like to be united in Christ. And we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are all given gifts for the good of all. Right? For what purpose did he give it to us? For equipping us for ministry and building up the body. And I would call that basically discipleship, right? Understanding the word of God and living it out, um, living out his commands and building up others to do the same, which is what we are talking about this morning. Um, As we are gathered together and shaped by the word of God, which unites us as a family around Jesus and the gospel, we are called to make disciples. So, I don't think anybody would seriously argue that there is a different mission for the church than this, right? To make disciples. Um, I would argue even regardless of denomination or theological leanings, um, all would probably say it's the job of the church to bring more people to believe what we believe and to live the way that we live. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. I think in our case, that would be true. But for other churches or other denominations or other belief systems, we might say that may not be so good. But I think that's what we need to understand, because, um, which is why it is so crucial that we are shaped by the Word of God. Because if we're not, then we'll be shaped by something else. And so we'll be led astray. And so we'll also be making disciples of something else as well, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, Because if we teach people to believe and to follow what we are doing, we better be shaped by the Word of God and living that out, or we're making disciples of something else. And so we are going to start in Matthew 28, which is, I think, the most famous passage to talk about making disciples. So if you want to turn there, you can, if you already have it memorized, which wouldn't surprise me for a lot of you. Um, you can just follow along and listen. It's page 886 on the Bible that's right in front of you. As always, you can always follow along in our um, app, in the Brentwood Bible app. The scriptures will be right there for you. So we're going to read 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so these are Jesus' final instructions to the disciples. So after three years of walking around with Jesus, of learning from him, of trying to understand um, what he is teaching them, he has these 12 Well, at this point, 11, but we won't get into that. Um, He sends them out to do the same thing, and that has been passed down through generations to us. So first, we need to understand what this call actually means for us, and so that's where we're going to start is, how do we understand this call to make disciples? But before we start going through these verses and what he actually says, I actually want to back up two verses um, and pick up verses 16 and 17, because this gives us a little bit more context. So if you look at 16 and 17, it says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. So if where we are in the story, um, just so you know, Jesus came to earth. He lived for three years. He did ministry. Um, He was condemned for breaking some laws, which he didn't really break. They just really didn't like a lot of what he was teaching. So he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. 
He died on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And so when he rose again in Matthew's account, um, he goes to the disciples and says, hey, I'm alive, I'm risen, go to Galilee, to this place, and I'll meet you there. And so that's what's happened before this. So we're picking it up right here. So they're going to where he told them. Then in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And so what I want us to see here is that the Great Commission, which is what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is known as, um, this call to make disciples is born out of worship. It's born out of worship, right? They saw Jesus, they worshiped him, and then he sent them out. And so the first step in making disciples is actually to worship Jesus, right? To understand and believe what Jesus has done for you and to place significant worth or to place value on what he has done, right? Because until you can worship him or you are worshiping him, it's going to be really hard to make disciples, at least disciples that follow Jesus. Because you aren't going to lead somebody else to do something that you don't value, right? When you try that new diet and it doesn't work, you don't tell all your friends to try it. Right? When you have this new thing that's supposed to give you all this energy and you try it and it doesn't work, you don't tell anybody else to do it. Right? So whatever that is, whether it's getting more sleep or being more productive or whatever it may be, if it doesn't work, you don't tell anybody because it has no value. Right? But if it does work and it changes your life, it has value, it has worth, it has significance, and then you're going to tell other people about it. So you need to worship Jesus in this way. Right? Because if you don't value Jesus in believing in him or following him, right? Maybe you think this whole Jesus thing is just a myth. Uh, Maybe it's a crutch. Maybe you're like, well, it happened 2,000 years ago. It can't be relevant anymore. Um, There's other stuff that we can throw in there with it and build together. Or maybe you just think, hey, he's a helpful teacher, but I'm not giving my life over to this guy, right? It's going to be hard to worship him. It's going to be hard to build disciples, But if you understand the greatness of the gift that he has given us, right, that he came and he died for you because you were a sinner, because you needed to be rescued, because you were in rebellion, right, and he died for you for that purpose, to set you free from slavery to sin and to rescue you from death. Right? That's a different thing altogether because all of a sudden you realize, oh, following Jesus and understanding what he did for me does change my life. It does make a difference. And I assign value to that and I worship him and I want to tell other people about it. So that's what I think this call to make disciples needs to be based on is, are you worshiping Jesus? Do you value what he's done for you? Are you telling other people how it has made a difference in your life, which is kind of what all the rest of this is about? And so let's look now at the call itself, right? In Jesus' actual words, first he says, all authority has been given to me. So everything that Jesus says after this sentence, that means our call to make disciples is built on this one principle, right? The fact that Jesus has authority, and not just some authority, Right? He doesn't say, I have authority in Galilee, in the place where I'm from, or the place where I spent most of my time, or I have authority in Israel because these are God's people, or I have authority on this side of the world. No, he said, all of heaven and all of earth, he has authority. Um, in case you are wondering, that's everywhere. 
right? Everywhere, Jesus has authority over everything. So there is no place where he does not have authority. And so as a result, the correlation for us is this, is that we only have authority because Jesus has authority and he has given it to us. We have no authority on our own. As I stand up here, I have no authority except what Jesus has given to me and what the Word of God says. So the authority doesn't come from me. It comes from the Word of God and through Jesus. So for us as believers in Christ, we are just messengers and witnesses, right? As messengers, we're just carrying the message that God has given us and delivering to other people. So if you think about messages, if you go old school, like when a king sent a message, the messenger had no authority. His authority was symbolized by the stamp on what they sent on the message. And so our authority works the same way. Our message is stamped by God through Jesus, and that's where our authority comes from. So we're just delivering the message. The other side of that is we're just witnesses, right? We're testifying to what we have seen. I've seen Jesus do this in my life. I've seen that the Bible is true. I've seen that Jesus did die on the cross for me, and that changed everything, right? We're just, basically, we're reporting the news, right? This is what has happened, which doesn't actually require a lot of authority either. And so what that means is when we're seeking to make disciples or when we're seeking to have conversations with other people, we need to remember that we're not the person with authority, which should allow us to relax a little bit. We don't have to be dogmatic. We don't have to argue as much as we want to argue. We can just relax a little bit more because Jesus has the authority. The Word has authority. We are just reporting what is happening so we can relax and trust God to work in those situations. The next thing he says is, go, right? Go. So making disciples requires some level of going, right? You can't just sit at your house all the time and never go anywhere and never interact with anybody else and make disciples, right? Because you're not going anywhere. Now, this could be going next door. It could be talking to your neighbors. It could be going to the other side of the world, right? There's all different levels of going that some of us are called to or will participate in. But if you're not going anywhere, then you're not following this. You have to go, even if it's just outside, right, to interact with other people. Um, Because making the disciples carries the idea of going and being sent, We are sent out to make disciples, which is his next command, right? Go and make disciples. And what does Jesus say we do to make disciples? He says two things. We baptize them and we teach them to obey all of his commands. So first we baptize them. Um, So this would be after they become believers, which we talked about last week, the idea of conversion and what that means. And so baptism is a public declaration that you are following Jesus, that you are officially becoming a disciple. And then he teaches, says, then you should teach them to obey all of my commands. And if you're like me, the question I had after I read that is, well, what are those commands and where can I find them? Because I want to know what they are and how I'm supposed to obey. And in my brain, I'm just like, well, I really wish there was just a list 
right? Can I just get a list of all these commands, all the things I'm supposed to do, like a, a New Testament version of Leviticus or Deuteronomy where it's just like verse after verse of do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Um, but the issue with that is, I think if we had the list, we would treat it just like the Israelites treated the law of Moses, is I have this list of things I'm supposed to do and things I'm not supposed to do, and so we would just end up checking off the list. I did these, I did this, I did this, I didn't do this, I'm good. Which would put us in the same situation that the Israelites were in is, you can't do it all. You're going to mess up. You're going to make a mistake. You can't justify yourself through the law, through works, through doing the right things. And so I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus doesn't just give us, hey, obey my commandments, and here's the list. Because we would all just, I think, have a tendency to say, okay, I'll just read the list, and everything else really doesn't matter, because as long as I'm doing these things, I'm okay. Right? But just checking off a list doesn't do what we talked about at the beginning, which is worship. Right? You're not loving Jesus. You're just checking off the list. And so these commands, I think, are sprinkled throughout Scripture. Um, and I think we... To be honest, for the most part, I think most of us know what these are. We don't really have to search for them, in my opinion. Um, but it helps to read Scripture, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but the thing is, we just need to obey and do what Jesus is asking us to do. And I would be willing to bet that like 90% of the time, all of us pretty much know what that is. Right? There may be some situations where we're like, I'm not really sure what to do here, if I'm supposed to do this or not supposed to do this, what does it look like? But like, I think 90% of the time, especially for people that have been in church for a while, you pretty much know, oh yeah, I should definitely not do that. Um, and I should do more of this, which we'll come back to in a minute. But I think there's two parts, right? There's the teaching them the commands of them understanding and knowing them, but then it's teaching them to obey. Right, to actually obey the commands, not just to know what they are and be able to write them out on a sheet of paper, but actually to do the commands. Right? It's not enough just to know what you're supposed to do. You have to actually do it, which seems pretty basic. But I think a lot of us fail in this more than we realize. Right? I'm supposed to do this. I know I am, but I just couldn't get there. I got too busy. I'm tired. I've got other stuff going on. My kids have soccer practice and soccer games and band competitions and all these other things. Like for us and our family, like that's just kind of all the stuff and it all factors in. And you're like, oh, I left out obeying the commandments in the midst of all of that because I just got busy. So we need to do them, which we're going to come back to several times as we go through. And then at the end, he says, remember I am with you until the end of the age. Now, this is good news because that means Jesus is with us until the end. We're not on our own. He doesn't say, hey, you guys, um, you need to go out, you need to make disciples, you need to teach other people my commands, and you need to obey my commands. Good luck. I hope it works out for you. Right? You're out on your own. If you have trouble, I guess read some more. Um, but he doesn't do that. No, he says, I am with you. He is with us, and he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is kind of what we see as he ascends. He sends the Holy Spirit to actually be with us all of the time to help us know and understand what we're supposed to do and how we can obey and to reveal to us his commandments and help us to understand them. The other thing I, I realized from this is he says, I'm with you until the end. 
right? Which means until the end, we're all still supposed to be making disciples. It doesn't stop when you turn 40 or 60 or 80 or 100. Until the end, which means until you're with Jesus or Jesus comes back for all of us, we continue to make disciples until the end, right? We never stop. We keep going. And so now that we understand the call, what do we, what do, we do with that, right? What or how do we obey Jesus' commands and teach others to do the same? And so I think to understand that, we need to understand the essentials of what it means to make a disciple. So that's what we're looking at next. How can we understand the essentials? And so the question we're really asking is, what does making disciples actually look like? And so for us, and so for me in particular, as I came to this church and thought about what does it look like for us to make disciples, because I don't know if you've noticed, but we have kind of a generation gap between our youngest people and our oldest people, and different life experiences, and things have been very different in the lifespans of all of those people. And so the question I ask myself a lot is, does discipleship or the process of making disciples, of being a disciple and making disciples, look any different for an 80-year-old than it does for a 25-year-old? And I actually think it might, which we'll get to in a minute. But if you think through how the church historically has sought to make disciples and um, just to throw one way back, right, we read um, the Apostles' Creed a couple of weeks ago, and then a couple of weeks before that, we did the Heidelberg Catechism, right, and so traditionally the church, historically, a long, long, long time ago, when people couldn't read, they would use things like catechism to teach them orally the commandments and the teachings of Jesus and theology so they can know it and understand it and recite it even though they couldn't read it. Then, if you jump to the last hundred years or so, right? Sunday school became a big thing. And that's how we tried to make disciples. And then when I was growing up, and I think maybe some of this happened here, you had like a discipleship training hour, or you had evening services on Sunday evening, or you had Wednesday night and stuff that went along with Wednesday night. And then as we got further, we had small groups, right? And so I think all of these strategies and all of these things throughout history have been designed to make disciples. And so that's a lot of different things. A lot of this is going on, and there's actually a lot to choose from. Um, but the question I think we need to answer is, what are the essentials to making disciples or being a disciple, regardless of age, regardless of generation, and I would actually argue different, regardless of culture? Meaning, you could do this anywhere in the world, and it wouldn't matter. These are the things. And so this is my list um, you can argue with this list if you want. I think it's pretty basic. I, I would go with this. Um, but if you have a better list, feel free to share it with all of us because we would like to know your, what you think about it. So first is, right, you're going to need to read the Bible. Right? You're going to have to spend some time in God's Word to understand what it means. Right? If we are called to obey and teach the commands of Jesus, we need to know where they, what they are and to understand that you got to look in God's Word to understand what those are. So reading the Bible, I think, is important for that. Then I think we pray. We spend time talking to God. 
communicating with him, both talking and listening. And when we pray, we pray prayers of thanks, right? Thanks for all that you've given me. Thanks for what you've done for me. Thanks for my salvation. Thanks for giving me a house. Thanks for my job that I got to keep throughout a whole pandemic or whatever it may be or how I'm, I'm able to live even if I lost my job, right? That we praise him. We praise him for his greatness and his mercy and his grace and his love and his compassion and his power that he gives us and he does for us. Then we petition, we ask him for things. God, I'm really struggling with this. Can you help me? I have this opportunity. I don't know if I should take it. Can you help me understand that? I'm having a great day. I just wanted to tell you and thank you. But also, I think in that, to be a a good disciple, a growing disciple, we also need some prayers of confession and repentance of man, I really blew it, and I knew this was your command, and I knew this was what you, I was supposed to do, but I just didn't do it. Or I knew I wasn't supposed to do that, and it's like the 400th time I did it again, but I don't want to do it anymore. So I confess, and I repent, and I turn back to him. Right? So we pray. Then I think there needs to be some level of living out what we know of God's commands, right? Obeying the commands, which we talked about just a minute ago. We have to actually apply the word of God to our lives and say, well, this is what it means. This is the principle. This is the practice. This is what God wants me to do. Now I actually have to do that in my life. I actually have to live it out. And the last one, this one may be not unexpected, I think, when you hear it, but a little different. The last one I have actually is walk with others. Right? I believe discipleship requires other people. And I think the more you do this, the more you read God's word, the more you pray, the more you apply it, the more you have these conversations with other people, I actually think the faster you grow in Christ. Because you learn faster, people can see things in you that you don't see on your own, you learn more. Like this morning, we, I was in just the beginning of our new class that we did in the gym, and it was crazy and hilarious and amazing. But like even just in getting kids to say, act this out, and you stand here and be Jesus, and you be John the Baptist, and just watching them interact, right, you learn something about what that might have looked like and what, what people do and people following Jesus. And so when we do it with other people, I think we actually learn and grow much faster than we do on our own. And we have all, a lot of the commands that Jesus gives us are actually what I call one another commands, right? Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, confess your sin to one another. And so I think these one another commands actually also prove my point is Jesus expected us to do this with other people. And then we have the verse in Proverbs, right, that most of you are familiar with. as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Right? We sharpen each other. We get better together. And so I think those are the basics, those things. And so I'm willing to say that discipleship may look different by age. It may look different by generation. Right? I thought of it of kind of like having a missionary mindset. 
right? Like if we were in Africa, we wouldn't be meeting in a huge building like this with air conditioning um, and live stream on our internet connection and looking up things on our smartphones. Um, I've been there to a couple of different places, and that's never what we did when we went to church, right? So you wouldn't make disciples the same way by saying, download this app, right? It's just different. And so you would think differently about how to make disciples if you were in another country. But I think we can do the same thing even here for different generations because people are used to or expect different things or are willing to do different things. And I think that's okay. As long as we are reading God's word, we are praying, we're trying to live out what we learn, and we're doing that with other people. And so that may be a small group, it may be a Wednesday night Bible study, it may be a Sunday school class, it may be meeting for coffee, it may be eating tacos, it may be running on a trail. You can do this in all of those places, but it's going to look different depending on who we're talking about. And so the challenge, I think, for us, and for me, especially as I think about how we make disciples is, how do we make this work for everybody? Right? How can we get everyone involved? What do we do? How do we do it? Because no matter the generation, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter your experiences, no matter what you're willing to do or not willing to do, the call is the same. To make disciples. It doesn't say make disciples when you're young and when you get older you can take a break. No, it says make disciples for all of us until the end. And so what does it look like to make disciples? And for a minute, just think about how Jesus made disciples. We just finished going through the book of Mark not that long ago. Um, if you don't remember that, we did, and it happened, um, and that's okay. But when we look at Jesus and what he did, at the beginning, he just sort of like randomly walks around and calls people out and is just like, hey, you guys, you should come follow me. Hey, you two, you should come follow me, and you should come follow me, and how about you? You can come follow me. And then a little bit later, they pick up this other guy who's a tax collector, and they throw him in with a bunch, right? But he didn't go to the seminary and say, hey, I need some good trained guys to help me make disciples to really kick this thing off. No, he goes to the sea, and he picks up fishermen. And then he goes and picks up a tax collector who nobody likes, right? That still happens today, right? Nobody still, we still don't like the tax collector. Right? And he says, hey, these are my guys, and this is how we're going to make disciples. And so what Jesus does is he gets these 12 guys, and then he starts a school. Right? And he says, well, we need to have some training, and we need to have some theology classes, and we need to study the Old Testament scriptures. No, that's not what he does. What do they do? They just walk around. And he teaches them on the way, is what it says, right? He teaches them on the way. As they're going, as they're walking, as they're encountering situations, as they go to a wedding, as they encounter sick people, as people come to Jesus and ask him questions, as Jesus teaches. And so they lived life with Jesus. They just walked around with him. They witnessed events. The disciples asked dumb questions, right? They made mistakes, and Jesus was with them, helping them, walking with them, all through that. 
which is exactly what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is what Jimmy read earlier. Right? Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These are the words I'm giving you that today are to be in your heart. Then repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Now, that's only four things, but I think that covers most of what we're doing, right? You're either at home or you're somewhere else. You're sitting down or you're lying down or you're going. And so this is basically saying whatever you're doing, sitting, going, at home, away, lying down, make disciples. Talk about these things. Love God. Teach other people to love God. Talk about how great he is. Talk about what he's teaching you, which is exactly what we see Jesus do, right? If we read this verse, we would say, this is what Jesus did. When they were at home, they talked about Jesus, and it talked about God and what it meant. When they were walking, they talked about this. When they were lying down, all of these things, as they were living life. And as I think about this, sometimes it makes me wonder if, if we get it backwards sometimes, Right, many of us, and myself included for much of my life, and maybe a little bit still, think of discipleship as something that happens in a classroom. But that's our culture, right? That doesn't happen everywhere else, which is okay. But here's what I want. My second thought is, when I think about this, is I wonder if doing this in a classroom has taught us or made us think that we don't know enough, or that we don't know how to do enough, right? Because when you're in a classroom, it feels like school, right? Where there's going to be a test at the end, and I need to be able to pass the test. But we feel unequipped and feel like we don't know because we're doing it in a classroom and not as we go. And I'm not saying we're going to stop doing stuff in classrooms. I'm not saying that, and lots of people can learn and grow and do those things. But I think if we only do stuff in a classroom, we're missing out on the blessings that we can receive when we do stuff in all the other times of our life, right? At, if you come to everything that we do, at most, you've got four hours a week doing everything that we do right now. That leaves a lot of other time to make disciples, to be shaped, to meet with people, to talk to people, to pray with people, and all of these other things. And so this is our goal as believers and as a church to make disciples, to carry on the legacy that has been passed down for generation and generation and generation, to carry on the legacy of Northwest Baptist Church and Brentwood Bible Church, to keep that going. And when I think about things like this, it reminds me of a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 2, and this is Paul talking to Timothy, kind of giving him instructions. So he says in 2 Timothy 2.2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach it to others also. And so this is how I think about a goal for, for me as making disciples, or you may want to think about this as well. Is, and what this verse, what's behind this is actually the concept that, I'm not the only one that calls it this, is spiritual generations. 
right, of passing down spiritual things from one generation to the next to the next. So if you notice, Paul passes it on to Timothy. Timothy is passing it on to faithful witnesses. And those witnesses are passing it on to somebody else. And so we have in this verse four generations. And so the question would be is, do you have four spiritual generations from the disciples that you have made? Have you walked alongside somebody? Have you taught somebody? Have you helped somebody come to faith? And then they helped somebody else. And then they helped somebody else. And it goes back four generations. I'm not sure I have that. Right? But I think that's the goal, is that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, that it keeps going. So that's our goal, is spiritual generations, that it continues and it continues and it continues. And so how do we do that? Well, here we do it through several things. We do it through personal devotions of reading our Bibles and praying and studying God's Word on our own. We do it through discipleships, groups of groups of two to four who meet together regularly and you either read through a book of the Bible or you read a book um, together and you discuss it. And so we have a few of those going. You can always say, hey, I want to be a part of one of those and I'll try to get you involved um, when we have those. Um, like everything else, COVID made it a little harder for some of those things to happen, but we're working on it. Then we have classes. We have our Sunday school classes. We have the one that a um, little more traditional that meets in Stedman Hall, the one that's a little more chaotic that meets in the gym that started this morning. We have our Wednesday night Bible study, and then we have our worship gathering on Sunday morning. And so all of these things are more formal things that you can do that we use to make disciples. But hopefully there's things outside of that that we're also doing. The other thing I think is sometimes we make this harder than it has to be. Sometimes we make making disciples harder than it needs to be. And I think this is one of the struggles of being in a place and in a time where we're so blessed. Because if you say, I want to grow in discipleship, I want to follow Jesus, there's like multiple websites with thousands of choices that you could use to grow in your faith. And there's probably that many that are free, right? So you don't have to pay money to do this because of where we are and where we live and technology and all of these things. So sometimes we're, we're not sure what to, choo- what to do or what to choose or we want the right one or we want the perfect one. And so I've seen this many times, then you just don't do anything. It's like, well, I don't know what to do or I don't know what to choose. But it is actually as simple as reading the Bible and discussing it with somebody else and applying it to your life. Now, you don't really need a book. Well, outside of this one, right? You don't really need a book for that, to read the Bible, to discuss what it means and apply it to your life. Everybody can do that. Everybody in this room can do that. Everybody can be involved in that process. But I do also, I just want to give two cautions um, or mistakes that I think people make when it comes to making disciples or growing in discipleship. And the first one is, and there's been hints of this all the way through. These won't be surprising. Uh, The first one is that we do it alone. 
I think that's the first mistake we make. Because when you do it alone, yes, you can learn, yes, you can grow, yes, you can apply the word to your life. I'm not arguing that you can't. But when you do that, there's a certain lack of accountability that comes with that. So if you're reading the Bible on your own and studying it and you come to a command that you don't like, you're probably not going to follow it because it's up to you and nobody else is going to know. So there's a little bit lack of accountability. So whether you, and whether you come to a place and you say, well, I should do this more, I should pray more, I should read my Bible more, I should share the gospel with somebody else, I should bless my neighbors, I should listen to somebody's story, I should take somebody out to lunch and just listen to them and ask them how they're doing. Or I should stop doing this. I should stop looking at this or saying this or participating in this or thinking this. You're less likely to do those things if you're by yourself. I don't think I have to argue this point. I think we all understand this, right? If you're not doing something with somebody else, you're going to stop usually pretty fast. Unless a doctor has ordered you, right, to not do that anymore. And then even if somebody isn't watching us, we'll still cheat every once in a while, right, and do it anyway. But the second one is, if you're doing it by yourself, I think you're missing out on actually asking hard questions, of yourself, which is where I think we actually grow. So asking questions like, why do I get so upset when this happens? And actually finding the answer, not just saying, well, I don't want to be angry about this anymore, so I'll just stop. No, but actually trying to understand why you're angry. Or why does this same thing keep happening in my life? Why does it keep repeating? And how can I stop that? Or is the person I'm listening to on the TV or radio or the internet or the podcast actually teaching the truth? Or do I just like what they're saying because it lines up with what I actually want to hear? Right? Most of us aren't going to ask those questions of ourselves. Now, we might every once in a while, and I'll give you that. But for the most part, we need somebody else to challenge us and help us see those things. So the first caution is to do this by yourself. The second one is to read and to understand and to know God's commands and to understand what Jesus is calling you to do and not apply it and not actually do it, right? To build up this library of knowledge of things that I know I'm supposed to do and I'm not supposed to do and how that affects how I live and how I think about others and how I interact with others, and how I go to the grocery store, and how I work, and how I deal with my children, or grandchildren, or friends, and not do it. Right? To just say, I have all the knowledge, but it's not translating into action, into how I actually live my life. Which I think is part of the classroom thing for a lot of us, is I learned it in a classroom, I understood it, I can repeat back what I learned, I'm good. I would say, no, unless you're actually living that out in your life, you're not quite good yet. You're not quite making disciples. You're not quite growing in Christ. And so the challenge for us is to apply what we're learning to our lives, to not stop with, I know it, I understand it, I'm good. But to take that one more step and actually say, what does this mean? 
to be a parent, a grandparent, a coworker? What does it mean that God loves me? And how does that affect how I look at other people, how I love other people, how I treat other people, how I listen to the news? Right? What difference does it make that God loves me? Right? To actually apply that and work that out in our lives. And it's way easier to do that with other people. It's way easier to do that with other people. You know why? Because other people are pretty smart too. Right? It's not just us. Other people have good ideas and can help us and can challenge us. And so I think the more we do that, the faster we grow and the faster we're able to make disciples. So as we come together and finish this up, just just really quickly, um, we gather together as believers, or if you're not yet a believer, we're happy for you to hang out with us also. Right? We do this not just to have friends, or to have something to do on Sunday mornings. We gather together because we're called by God to make disciples. To love Jesus so much that we can't help but tell other people about him. That we can't help to tell other people about how he has changed our lives. We can't help but want to learn more about him and apply that to our lives and live it out. And so we do this together, as a people, walking together to make disciples. So on Sundays, we gather together. Yes, we learn, and we encourage, and we pray for one another. And then the rest of the week, we live it out. Not by ourselves, but together, right? We make disciples on the way, on the way to the parking lot, on the way to lunch, on the way home, on the way to the doctor, on the way to the waiting room, on the way to school, on the way to wanting to punch my brother in the face, on the way to want to yell at my children, on the way to not being able to understand what my grandchildren are doing and why they believe some of the things they believe and doing some of the things they do. Right? On the way, we make disciples in life, as we encounter situations. And just like the 12 disciples, we're going to make mistakes. And we're going to ask dumb questions. But that's okay. That's actually how we grow. That's how we become different. That's how we apply these things to our lives. As we do it together with other people, encouraging, kind of falling forward, right? And trusting and living out the gospel in all of our lives. You guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your call and that um, your call for us is simple, right? It's a call to make disciples, which sounds so simple and so clear. But the, just the way that we are in our battling our, our own desires and our own um, selfish wants and things that we want to do that we sometimes leave this out or we only go so far we just learn and we don't do we just hear and we don't obey so god i pray that you would help us to see how all of us regardless of where we are in a life stage whether we're five or 95 there is a way or something you want us to do to help make disciples to help us grow in our faith and to help others grow in their faith as well 
So I pray that you would make it clear to all of us how we can do this, that we wouldn't be comfortable or complacent or content, but that we would continue to seek you. We would want to grow. We would worship you. That we would understand the greatness of what you've done for us. That would lead us to tell others, to seek knowledge, to apply it, to live out what you're calling us to do. So God, whatever it may be, whatever we may need to be able to do that, I pray that you will give it to us. That you'll give us time or you'll give us energy, you'll give us courage, or you'll give us insight, or you'll give us a friend who can walk through this with us, that we wouldn't do it alone. God, help all of us to encourage one another to do, remember that we're in this together, that we're walking this life together, and so that we can see spiritual generations. Yes, as a church, but also as individuals, that we would see disciples who make disciples from our own journey of seeking you and sharing you with others. So God, help us just to, yes, to make it simple and just to go and teach and obey what you have commanded us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.